0: As Jordan said, my name is, uh, is Jono, and I have the, the privilege of finishing out our series on Exodus. Turn to your neighbor and say, Exodus, yeah? yeah? Who here has been enjoying the series so far? Hopefully, yeah, you won't hurt my feelings if you don't put your hands up, but you will hurt someone's feelings, so uh, please put your hands up. You know, it's, it's interesting that the book of Exodus is an interesting book of the Bible. Um, I, I don't know if, if you've found that or not. You know, it's, it's interesting because... Uh, I, I've heard it said that uh, the, the book of Exodus is, is like a shadow, right? The book of Exodus is amazing. It's amazing for a bunch of reasons. One of the reasons that, that I find it amazing is it's the, um, the scriptural basis for the greatest movie of all time, right? We all know what that movie is, yeah? The, it's, the, it's the Prince of Egypt. Ten Commandments, oh, almost. Almost. It's just not animated enough. It doesn't have anywhere enough singing in it for me, Jordan. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you should go home tonight and watch the Prince of Egypt, um, or the Ten Commandments, depending on how old you are. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I won't sing miracles always comes to my mind, but I won't sing it. But but um the the, the book of Exodus is, is amazing because it's it, it's a shadow of, of what's going to happen. You know, the the book of Exodus, I've I've heard it described that in the book of Exodus we see the shadow of Jesus. Right that that in uh, in Moses and the messianic role that he plays in freeing the people of Israel from Egypt, we see, see the, the shadow of Jesus freeing us, right? That, that as Moses frees the people of, of Israel from Egypt, Egypt that represents this, this ultimate evil, right? Throughout the book of, of Exodus, we see a bunch of archetypes, right? And archetypes is just a fancy word that, that you learn in English class. That basically means it's, it's like a, um, a familiar story, Right? We hear this story and it resounds within us. Like, like when, we, when we see a romantic comedy, we know the, the, the path that the movie is going to take before the, the first scene ends. Yeah? You see the cute meat. You know at some stage they're going to have a fight that's really bad, but not that bad that they can't resolve it within the next kind of hour of the movie. And eventually they'll end up super happy together and ride off into the sunset, right? Right? You, you, you start watching an M. Night Shyamalan movie and you know somewhere in this there's going to be a twist, right? Depending on when he made the movie, it's either going to be a great twist or just really weird and I'm not going to understand it, right? I think he's coming back into his own. I watched the movie Split the other day. It was very scary. Luca warned me. I still watched it. But great twist at the end. Won't ruin it, right? That would be horrible. But but we, we, we know these stories, we see these stories, and we, we understand where they're going. What, what the book of Exodus is, is it's the establishment of these archetypes. In Moses, we see this savior character, this person who's going to come and, and free these people from oppression. And in him, we see the, the shadow of Jesus. In Egypt, this, this oppressive, uh, and especially in Pharaoh, this oppressive character who, who seems to know no reason, but just wants to do the wrong thing again and again, we see the shadow of, of Satan, right? And, and so as we read this book, we see that just as Israel is freed from Egypt, Jesus frees us from our sin, right? And, and this book is helpful in that we can, we can attach to it how we feel, that we can understand what's going on by reading it, that just as the people of Israel struggled with being free from Egypt, but still behaving like they were in Egypt, just like they were out of Egypt, but still had Egypt in them, we struggle with being free from sin, but still, still having sin in us, right? And, and so in this series, we've been asking ourselves and, and, and looking at it and asking ourselves this question, what does it mean to escape From Egypt, right? And and we started the series looking at at where is it that we need to stop enslaving ourselves to sin and shame, right? Where is it that that we have created a a slave master in our life that we are free, but we're acting like we're slaves? Then we looked at how does Jesus help us to do this, right? If we know that Jesus is the answer, what is the question? And, And last week, Jordan talked about how we are adopted into God's family. Right, that, that, that we're adopted, and we're not just adopted because we're cute little kids. Right? We're not just adopted because God was like, oh, I want to make my family a little bit bigger, but, but we're adopted because God has something to give us as inheritors. That He welcomes us into His family, and with that comes rights and responsibilities. And so today I want to I look and I want to conclude our series by speaking to you on how we walk into promise. Right, the, the book of Exodus finishes with the people of, of Israel not yet pushing into the promised land, right? not yet moving into where they should be. And just a little bit of, of biblical uh, kind of knowledge for you. You have the book of Exodus, uh, then you have, have Numbers, right, where we gather everyone together, right? Numbers, it's called Numbers because the Israelites were numbered. Moses is counting them before they're meant to, to push into the promised land. Then you have Deuteronomy, which is kind of the, the last sermon of Moses before they, before they leave Moses because Moses can't go into the promised land with them. And then we have the book of Joshua, right? And, and Joshua's first task, Joshua's first mission that he's given is to lead the people out of the desert and into the promised land. But to do that, they have to cross the river Jordan. See, this morning, I want to look at at how the Israelites walked out of the desert and into the promised land and how we too are called to walk into our promise. And the question that I want to ask and hopefully answer in the next 30 minutes is how do a broken people bring heaven to earth? Turn with me if you've got your Bibles to Joshua chapter three. We're going to read from verse fourteen uh, to seventeen. I want to use this this story of the people of Israel crossing the river Jordan as a picture that God paints for us as to how we can walk into our promise. There's some lessons we can learn here. So turn with me, Joshua chapter three, verses fourteen to seventeen. I'm reading the NLT version. We'll have it up. There you go. Already on the screen. It says this. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was the harvest season, and the Jordan was overflowing its banks, but as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam which is near Zarethan, and then the water below the point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed the Jordan onto dry ground. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this opportunity to to look at an amazing story that you've put in the Bible for us, God. God, that that when this was was written down, when this account was recorded, God, that that you knew that one day in the future we would be reading it and that you wanted to speak through it to us. God, thank you that you have something to say. God, something to show us, a, a way to enlighten us. God, thank you that we all have a promise, God, that we all have things that we're believing for, things that we're hoping for, places that we want to go. God, thank you that you join us in that promise. I pray that when we leave this place this morning, God, that it wouldn't be through, through fancy words or amazing songs, but that you would speak to us in that still, small voice. God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that we would know that you have something to say to us and we would listen. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's it's interesting. The Bible is basically a a collection of stories about people trying to walk into God's promise for them, right? Especially the Old Testament. Stop for a moment and and, and think of some stories of of some biblical heroes, right? The story of, of Adam and Eve, the story of Cain and Abel, of Noah, of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac, of Jacob, of Joseph, of Moses, of Joshua, of the judges, of Saul and of David, right? all of these stories are united in that they're about people that God is drawing forward into something new, that the world is, is changing in some way, that, that He's drawing them forward into changing the world, but at the same time, He's drawing them into a relationship with Him, into, into freedom with Him, into love and peace with Him, and yet they all fall short of entering into God's promise. Right, well, what is God's promise, right? It's probably the question we, we get to then, right? Well, what is this promise that these people fall short of, right? God's ultimate promise is that the world will be made right, right? That God is redeeming creation. And, and our part in this is outlined in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, where we're told through Abraham, we are included in this Abrahamic covenant that we are blessed to be a blessing, that we are a called people, that we're called to be the people of God that will bring the blessing of God to all people. And that as we walk out as the people of God, we find life is, is bigger. That we find that the meaning of life is, is, is found in, in moving out into what God has for us. That the meaning of life isn't work right? The meaning of life isn't accomplishing things. It's really easy to to think, man, we've got this promise and this mission from God, and and I need to earn God's love and acceptance. The, The meaning of life is to rejoice and rest in God, right? If you're here this morning, you need to know that that God died for your sins, that God died to establish a relationship with you, that He loves you, and He wants you to know Him. That is your primary mandate in life, but at the same time, there's, there's this mission that, that, that we're invited into, this, this promise, this goal, this, this task to help others to know God, that, that God is making all things new and that we are invited to be a part of it. See, these people don't fall short of the promise of knowing God, right? That's a promise that, that basically it's, it's a one-sided promise. God says, I will come all the way. You accept my sacrifice for you, and we're we're there, right? The promise is fulfilled. Know God, love Jesus, and you're in a relationship with Him. That promise doesn't take a whole lot from us, but there's another promise, a promise that the world is broken, but it shouldn't be, a promise that the world is hurting, but it doesn't need to. You, You don't need to look far this week in the news to know that the world is a hurting, painful place to know that people are are hurt and are are reaching out and hurting others. You know, this week, I don't know about you, but I was overwhelmed reading about the the pain in Manchester. I was overwhelmed reading about the the, the horrible atrocities happening in Egypt. You know, and just this week, it was just brought to our attention because it affected people who we kind of identified with, so it was deemed appropriate for us to know. But every week, horrible things are happening. Every week, the world is broken. Every week, people are hurt by other people, right? The world is broken. And God's promise is that we can be a part of fixing it, that we can be a part of the solution. See, God's promise is that He's making all things new that, and that we can be a part of it. So if, if the promise of God is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth, or, or, of a perfect world of not only the penalty of sin, but the presence of sin, being eradicated, then if we think on these biblical heroes and them attempting to walk into God's promise, we do realize that they all don't quite make it, right? Adam and Eve, original sin. Cain and Abel, murder. Noah, drunk in shame in the tent. Abraham and Sarah attempting to make God's promise happen on their own. Jacob spends his entire life running from lies and deception. Joseph endures so much to bring his people into promise, only to have Moses have to rise up and free them from the very promise that they had gone wrong. And then he himself not being able to enter the next promise that God had for them in the promised land. Then we have Joshua, who finally brings the people into this promised land, this place that they've been dreaming of for generations. and, And he walks into the promised land only to find that it's filled with adversity. Then we read the book of Judges, this book of the people of Israel in the promised land. Right, of the biblical story, this should be the crescendo. This should be the ultimate moment. This is meant to be the epilogue of the book where everything is right, and yet it is the most tragic book in the Bible. As these judges rise up and try and turn the people of Israel back to God, as they go further and further from Him in this destructive spiral, ending up being a people who don't even know the God who brought them into promise. And we have Saul, right, the first king, meant to be the answer to the problem of the judges, a a person to unite Israel, to point them to God again. And and this man, Saul, he is is proud and arrogant and refuses to humble himself before God. So we have David, David, who is a, a man after God's own heart, who is everything that Saul isn't, and even David sins and commits murder. Even David, it's all right for David, and then his his sons and his daughters, they fight between each other, and the nation of Israel is fragmented into two parts and and never quite reunites. See, so if we read this account of all of these biblical heroes, and and nothing quite goes right for any of them, the question we, we must ask ourselves is, why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to leave Egypt and then get Egypt, the slave mentalities, to get Egypt, the destructive habits out of us. Why is it that we cross into the promised land, into God's promise, a relationship with Him, and yet we find that we still have opposition? You know, a few years ago, I was, I was at a conference, and, and Pastor Steve Graham was was speaking, and he said something that stuck with me. It was one of those, those paradigm shift moments. He, he said, all good theology exists in a tension. And in, in, in fact, the, the biblical narrative it, itself is a tension. And if you think about it for a moment, you as yourself, yourself have, have probably felt this tension. Right? Have you ever had a moment in which you said to yourself, I, I thought that I was better than that? You know, at, at work lately, um, it, it's been a pretty high-stress environment, right? For those of you who don't know, uh, I work for the government. Um, I won't get into what I do because I find it really interesting. Everyone else finds it boring, right? So you don't want to know. But, but uh, enough to say that I work for the government, and it's an election year. A- and uh, basically everyone who works in government has the same approach to an election year, which is, huh, Right, because because a whole lot of stuff happens, and 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 plans are made, and words are said, and and um the the work lands on the poor public servant. Right? Can I get a collective? Oh, thank you. That's for my heart. Thank you. I know my my seven seven and a half hour work day is uh it's just really hard for me. Right? Uh, that's in my contract. That's not what I work. Um, but you know so. So uh, it's been a stressful week, and and there's been one thing that's been happening to me in particular. There's been one person that that I've been uh, working with, and and they seem to enjoy annoying me, right? Have you ever had a person like that in your life? Especially at work, it gets really difficult because you can't kind of just be like, you're annoying me, I'm going to go home, right? Because your boss is like, just a second, Jonathan, you actually have some obligations in your contract to stay and do your work. Right? And you can't be like, look, you're annoying me. I'm just not going to interact with you anymore. Because then boss will be like, actually, there's a part of your job that kind of uh, I require you to do your job and stop being a baby. Do your job, please, Jonathan. Right? These might or uh, may not be conversations that I've had. Right? And, and, and so, have you ever had this person and, and you're trying to be nice to them, but it feels like their goal in life is to make your life hard. Right, I remember one day in particular when this person decided to, to go for the, the double, right? to both be unhelpful and somehow sass me. right? So they weren't helping me, and yet they were kind of talking to me like, um, what do you think you're doing? And I was like, well, both of our jobs, to be frank, because you're not doing nothing. Right, and so I remember I had one of these days and this, this person was just annoying me and it got to the end of the day and I was angry, right? And so I, I walked out of my building and I got on the lift and the lift always takes ages to come and I got on the lift and I stood there and I walked out and I got into the car, right? And, and for those of you who don't know, I work in town near the Beehive government, etc., etc. I live out in Churnan Park, right? Which uh, was never a suburb I thought I'd live in, but there you go, I'm living in Churnan Park. Uh, and, and so we, we, we get onto the motorway, right? And someone had had the audacity Someone had had the cheek to decide that today of all days was a perfectly good day to have a nose to tail, right? Which is one of those accidents. They're like a bigger accident I can't get mad about because someone might be hurt. And I'm like, oh, no, I, that's, that's like a big deal. I won't get grumpy about that. But a nose to tail, no one's been hurt, just very inconvenient, Right, and so there we are, we're, we're on the motorway, and this thing happens, right? We're in the left lane, just picture it, picture that beautiful motorway that we have, smart motorway, right? You've got the special, special speed limits, which definitely work, because everyone follows them, right? And so you're on this beautiful, smart motorway, and we're heading out, you know, north towards the promised land that is Churden Park. And, uh, and what happens is, is lots of people live in the hut, right? There's... Too many people, some might say, right? What the main problem is is that lots of people live in the hut. There's nothing to do in the hut, so they all work in town, right? And so all these people, they, they work in town, they live in the hut, and, and, and they commute back and forth, right? Charlie and Matias are like, it's going to be awesome. when we live in Petoni. It will be. Welcome to the lovely traffic. Catch the train. Beautiful train. Right, so anyway, there's all these people in their cars on the motorway out to the hut. And the hut, that, that lane of traffic is where the nose to tail has happened, right? That's, that's where it's all backed up. And so they're crawling along slowly, which is fine, except someone has had an ingenious moment, right? Where they're like, here's what I'll do. I need to drive to the hut. But look at all those cars waiting in the line to get out to the hut. Rather than waiting in that line, what I'll do is I'll jump into the lanes of traffic that go out to Potidour, right? The, the left-hand lanes, those two lanes that go out to Potidour and Chertan Park and all those other lovely, lovely places. I'll jump into that lane and I'll just... I'll cruise on past everyone, all those suckers waiting in the line, and I'll indicate at the last minute, and I'll jump over, right? I'll skip that 10 minutes of waiting. Genius. Right, and so here they are. They've got their indicator on. They're (laughs) most annoying sound in the world, (laughs) and they're trying to get over. And understandably, the people who have been waiting for 10 minutes in the right-hand lane are like, "What what do you think you're doing? I'm not letting you in. I've been waiting since back there. I saw you as you sailed past me thinking that you were God's gift to traffic. Right and so and so they just do that thing where they stay as close as they can to the person in front of them which is probably how the original nose to tail happened right and, and so they can't get in right all of this is fine except I'm stuck behind the person who's indicating to get into the right hand lane right sitting there with their t- and I'm sitting there being like, look, the traffic in front of you is open. But everyone on the left lane to me is cruising on by, being like, Oh, I'm so glad I'm not John O stuck in that traffic for 10 minutes, right? And all of a sudden something starts to well up within me. Right? All of a sudden I start to question the driver in front of me that their purpose, right? I start to to first of all I ask myself, where did they get their license from? Right? When did they sit their license? Did they sit out in a province where they didn't have traffic, right? Where the only road test they had to do was don't run over the cow. Right, so I'm sitting there and I'm questioning, where did you get your license? Then I start questioning the general reason for existing, right? Like, God, what purpose does this person have? Right, what good are they bringing to it? Start banging on my dashboard, right? Maybe some choice words fly out of my mouth. and all of a sudden, I, I have this moment. What am I doing? Right, why am I so worked up? Why, why am I behaving like this person has personally, you know, spat in my face and called my mother horrible names? I thought I was better than this. I thought that, that, that I wouldn't react in such a, a, a stupid way to something so small. I'm, I'm in this tension. I know that I'm free from the penalty of sin. I know that that Jesus died for me to walk into promise, for me to have life and life abundantly, that that God calls me to change the world, and here I am yelling in my car because I can't handle someone annoying me at work, and the cascade effect is that I just explode. I'm in the tension of God saying that I am blameless in His sight, and yet I am not behaving like someone blameless in God's sight. The, The theologian Gerhardus Vos describes this as is the paradigm of the already, but not yet. That we as Christians are actively taking part in the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God is here and now, but things are not yet as they should be. That we are already in the kingdom, but that we have not yet seen it in its glory. It's as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 1 to 2. So now, as there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and because you belong to Him, the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And this very verse is preceded by Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 16, which says, I'm full of myself. I've spent a long time in sin's prison. What I don't understand about myself is that I decide one way and then I act another, doing things I absolutely despise. See, here's the tension. We are free from the penalty of sin, and yet we live amongst the presence of sin. In in, in Jesus, our sin has no eternal ramifications, but plenty of immediate consequences, See, um, a, a few weekends ago, you, you, would have, uh, you, would have missed, you would have missed me. You would have missed me a few weekends ago. You did. Yeah, it, was, it was painful for you, I can tell, right? A few weekends ago, uh, Emma and I were, were down south in the, in the heart of the south in Alexandra, right? Turn to your neighbor and say, Alexandra. Right, it's, it's beautiful in Alexandra. We went down there for my cousin's wedding. Right, and because it's very expensive to fly into Queenstown, which is a lot closer to Alexandria kinda of Cromwell area, M and I were thrifty, more specifically, my mother is very thrifty and, and booked flights for us to fly into Christchurch, right? Which was which was a good idea of her. And then what we did is we all got into the family car. Uh, and we drove from Christchurch to Alexandra, right? Which is around about a five-hour trip if you grew up driving in the North Island, right? If you're Tim and you grew up driving in the South Island, it probably takes you about two hours because you're just like, and I'm flying, right? And then you're there. It's great. But uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a wee uh, North Island city boy, and, and uh, I don't like to drive at 200 kilometers per hour, right? Crazy me. And so... So there we go, we drive to Cromwell, uh, we're staying in Cromwell, the wedding's in Alexandria, and we we drive there, and for whatever reason, uh, I get to be the driver, right? I quite like driving, I really just mainly, I enjoy driving mum and dad's car, right? Because it's a Holden Captiva, um, and and it's a big car, and it does this thing called Accelerate, right? Which is a thing that my car doesn't do, because we drive a a Nissan March, right? Which, it's about uh, this long, and it's about this wide. Right? And and sometimes if I want to, I can pick it up and I can put it in my pocket. Right? And I can just take it around with me. It's fantastic. I'm not bitter about owning this car at all. Okay? You just need to understand that. It's not like we sold my motorbike, my beloved motorbike, to buy this car. Right? And we effectively picked up the engine out of the motorbike and put it into this car and said, yeah, that'll work. That'll be fine. Right, And then we're like, no, it can fit four or five people, definitely. Right, So there we are. Anyway, not bitter. We're, we're in the Holden Captiva, which I enjoy driving because it's a real car, not a pretend car like my car. And, and so we're driving to Alexandria. Right? And it's amazing because you've got cruise control. And, and I like driving because otherwise I fall asleep. I don't fall asleep driving, which is good. Right? But if I'm in a car in any other capacity, it starts like it does that vibration thing. And I'm like, eh, gone. Right? And mom and dad are like, do you see the beautiful countryside? No, no I just g- slept. Right? So, so I wanted to see the countryside. Long story short, I drove from Christchurch to Alexandra, right? That's the point of that bit of the story. And we arrive in our destination, and I get out of the car, and I have this moment, right? I don't know if you know this moment. We get it especially when we go for long trips in our car, because to drive in it, you have to be doubled over like this, and you hold this gear, are like, yeah, this is awesome. We're going, yeah, it's great, right? But I got out, and I had that moment where I got out of the car, and I was like, oh, and you try and straighten up. And your back can't go to the place that it usually goes, right? Like usually you stand straight and you have beautiful posture like myself, right? I've been going to stretch classes. I know you can tell. But, uh, but when I got out of this car after driving, I got out and I was like, and stand up straight, 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 right? Because I've got very tight hamstrings. And they were not allowing me to stand up straight. See, because here's the thing. It's, it's like Paul says in Romans chapter 7. In life, we often walk with a crooked back. In life, we often walk hunched over because like Paul says, we've spent a long time in sin's prison. And so we're free, but we don't behave like we're free. We're free. We don't have the shackles on our hands anymore, but still we reach only this far. We're free. We don't have the shackles on our feet anymore. But rather than walking in in, in long bounds, rather than running, we still find ourselves just shuffling through life. See, so, so how do we straighten out? If we are free from the penalty of sin, but not the presence of sin, how do we stretch ourselves spiritually? How do a broken people bring heaven to earth? How do we walk into promise? I've got three really, really short, quick points. I'll be done in the next 15 minutes. Turn with me back to Joshua chapter three, and we can learn some lessons from Joshua and the Israelites crossing the river Jordan into the promised land. The first lesson that we can learn on on how they crossed the River Jordan is that they did it together. My first point is that to walk into promise, we need community. It says in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 to 25, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another especially now the day of his return is drawing near. We need community. You need people in your life. Turn to your neighbor and say this, I need someone like you in my life. You could do it one more time, but you could say it like maybe you actually like your neighbor, which might offend them a little bit less. If it was hard, you could just, you could say it to someone else, right? Sorry, I need someone like you in my life. I'm not leaving your own room, man. I got you, Right? It's because here's the thing, you're called to follow Jesus for yourself, but you can't follow Jesus by yourself. See, you, you need a community. The nation of Israel crossed the River Jordan because they did it together. The priests went in first, but they went in first because everyone else was waiting on the shore for them to cross. But, but for me, there's a hidden bit in the story that we don't see that blows my mind, right? Because there were some people, some of the people of Israel crossed the river Jordan and they didn't need to. Some of the people of Israel crossed this river and they didn't need to. It says that half the tribe of Manasseh and the tribes of Reuben and Gad had already received their grants of land on the east side of the river Jordan. The people of Israel are crossing from the east side to the west side, which means that some of the people of Israel are leaving their home and their promise behind to push forward to help their family find theirs. See, here's the thing. It's easy to come to church when life is hard. When life is falling apart, it's easy to think, man, I need something, I need someone to hold me together. I need to find my meaning for living again. And we come to church and we seek, and that is important, right? We need to find hope and family and love in church. You need to come here if you're broken. Don't stay away because it hurts. But at the same time, it, it can be so easy for, for church to become a lesser priority in our lives. And that generally doesn't happen when things are hard. Generally that happens when, when things are good. See, this morning, your, lo- your life might be awesome. You might have everything going well, but, but understand that your family needs you to cross with them. Your family needs you to push into their promise with them, even especially if you're already in a place of promise yourself. See, church exists for us, but it exists for us collectively. Us does not translate to me. Us translates to us. Right? We are called to be a people collectively. If you're going well, that's fantastic. But don't forget, the person next to you might not be. And maybe you need to reach out and love them so that they can walk into their promise. And that might take you stepping out into a place of uncomfortability, even though there's nothing in it for you. My second point this morning, second lesson that we can learn from how the people of Israel crossed into the across the river Jordan is is that they did it is what they did on the other side of the river. Right? My my second point is to walk into promise, we need memorials. It, it says in Joshua chapter four, verses one to three and then six to eight. I'm gonna read it really quickly. It, it says this, right? When all of the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose twelve men, one from each tribe, and tell them Take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan. Carry them out and pile them up at the place that where you will camp tonight. Jump down to, to verse 6. It goes on. In the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed a memorial there. Right, why did God have Joshua construct a memorial? Right, maybe it was because God knew what awaited his people in the promised land. Maybe it was because God knew the battles that they would have to fight, the opposition that they would encounter, because that's the issue, isn't it? It's that Romans 7 moment, that moment where we say to ourselves, I thought that I was better than that. It's the gap between who we are and who we know God has called us to be. That's what frustrates us. That's why we feel bad, because we know where we currently are, and yet we have an inkling of God has called me to be this person, right? Right? God has called me to be strong. God has called me to not get annoyed at people in traffic in just a moment's notice. He's called me to be more loving than that, a bigger person than that. God's called me to not get angry at my spouse, to not yell at my children, to not be dishonest at work. God's called me to do these things, and yet the frustration is this gap between who we are and who we know God has called us to be. But the important thing is is that there's another gap. There's, there's a second gap that we all too often forget. And this gap is between who we are and who we were. See, maybe God had the people of Israel build a memorial so that they could look back and say, man, we are here But we used to be there. Maybe God knew that in a few moments' time, the people of Israel would be marching around the fortified city of Jericho, marching around those walls, holding trumpets, marching around. And maybe on the fourth day, someone would turn to someone else and say, don't you feel kind of stupid? What are we doing this for? Why are we walking out? This feels ridiculous. This feels wrong. I feel exposed. And that they could turn to each other and say, yeah, but do you remember at the River Jordan? Do you remember when God told us to walk out into that river and it looked like it was in flood? Do you remember when God called us to, to walk out into that river and surely any person who stepped into that river would have been carried downstream and killed? And yet as the Ark of the Covenant went into the water, the river backed up at that town of Adam. That the rest of the river flowed down to the Dead Sea and that we crossed on dry land. That maybe they would turn to themselves and say, that didn't make sense at the time either. But God was faithful then. He'll be faithful now. Do you have a story? When you tell yourself the story of you, what are your memorial moments? When you tell yourself the story of you, what are the moments that you look back on? See, because the problem is, is that often these memorials, these these moments, they they come out of hardship. And and often our response to hardship is to try and forget about it. It's, It's natural to not want to remember the hard moments or the mistakes. And I'm not saying to glorify them. Because the the other side of this is that sometimes people tell their testimony, and it's half an hour on the bad person that they used to be, right? And, and, And the cool, I mean bad, the bad things that they used to do, right? And then they get to the end of their half an hour testimony about the bad things that they used to do, and they have a little, you know, one minute at the end. And then Jesus saved me, and now I'm a boring, I mean, good person. Right, and, and inadvertently, what they've done is they've crafted this testimony that, that speaks to who they used to be and the relevance that they think that it brings them, rather than glorifying God for what He's done in their life. Essentially, what they're doing is they're writing a story, and they go into such vivid detail about how wet the river was, not about how dry the riverbed was. They speak about, oh man, and the river raged, and it was, it was dangerous and dark, and then it dried up and everything was fine. But right, as opposed to God brought us to this river and it was in flood. But then the Ark of the Covenant went out and the river backed up and it started flowing on and the ground was dry. And it was so dry that we picked up stones from that very riverbed that only moments earlier had been underwater, under flood. And we took those stones and we built a monument so that we would never forget that God stopped the river for us. See, don't build a memorial to the river. Build a memorial to what God did in the river. Don't describe how wet it was. Describe how it dried up. So that, so that when you look back, when you're in a hard moment, you can say, I've still got a way to go. But I know that God can help me get there because look at how far I've come. If you're looking for a memorial moment, if you're looking for a, a monument in your life, if you know you don't have one, I can give you two just straight away. Your first memorial moment is the first time that you made a decision to follow Christ, right? When you really meant it, right? Or the most recent time you've decided. That moment when you said, no, God, I'm following you. The second time is when you were baptized. Salvation and baptism. If you haven't been baptized yet, get baptized because it's one of those moments. It's an easy win that we can put on the board. We can say, no, God, I know that I'm following you. I know that I'm pushing after you because I have this moment that I can remember. The third and the final lesson that we can learn from, from how the people of Israel crossed the River Jordan. Yeah, as you just come up. Is that the river only backed up because the people carried the ark. See, my third point is to walk into promise. We need Jesus. Because here's the thing, in life we can be as connected as we like. In life, we can tell amazing stories to, to build up our faith. But if we don't have Jesus, it's not gonna work. The author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, chapter three, sorry, verses 16 to 19, and who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard His voice?" Wasn't it the people that Moses led out of Egypt and who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that they would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed them? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. And then again, in in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 8 to 9, Now if Joshua had succeeded in giving them rest, God would not have spoken about another day of rest still to come. So there is a special rest waiting for the people of God. See, the author of Hebrews isn't saying that what Moses and Joshua led the people of God through wasn't significant, that it didn't count, that they weren't great men. He's illustrating that they were just men. See, it doesn't matter how many great points and sermons how much fancy speaking, how much amazing worship we have, none of that will save you. The purpose of community is to help us to follow Jesus. The purpose of memorials is to remind us of Jesus. The author of Hebrews is trying to explain throughout the entire book that it's all about Jesus. That, that the picture painted for us in the people of Israel crossing the Jordan is that unless we walk with God, it doesn't matter where we walk, we will never walk into promise. So if you remember nothing else today, remember this, that the answer to the question, how do a broken people bring heaven to earth, was always going to be Jesus. But that the how is that we walk with God, and that we can help ourselves walk with God by making sure we're in communion that we can help ourselves walk with God by making sure that we set up monuments and memorials. But that the lesson here is, is that we can learn from the Israelites is that it's easier to follow God into promise when we walk together. That it's, it's easier to, to follow God into promise if we set up memorials along the way to give us hope, to remind us of God's faithfulness. And the band's just gonna get up. And in a, in a moment, they're gonna lead us in a song. But before they do, some of us, when we hear the word promise or, or the word plan or the word purpose, we get anxious because it, it can feel like we're following God and, and what happens if, if God takes a turn and I miss it, right? What happens if, if I miss where God is going and, and He takes a left and I go right and I end up in a place and I don't know where I'm going and God doesn't seem to be in front of me and I'll be lost and I'll, I'll have lost my promise, my, my one shot. I just want to remind you, God is big, right? Sin didn't stop God. So neither will your mistakes or missed opportunities. God is with you. God's promise will always find us. He will always save us. It's about how much good we can do with Him along the way. So today, the band is going to lead us in the bridge of that song, Glory to Glory. And the lyrics speak of this exact tension that we've been describing that we have not yet reached the day of promise, that heaven has not yet come to earth, that we live in the already, but not yet. And so in the midst of our tension, let's remind ourselves that God's love conquers all. In the midst of our tension, let's remind ourselves of who God is and direct our attention to the hope that we have that one day we will stand face to face and then, then too, we will sing Holy. See, so as as you stand to your feet, as the band leads us, as we sing these words, I just want to invite you, turn your attention to Jesus. When was the last time you stopped and reflected on who He is? Maybe this morning you have a personal promise that you're currently holding. Lift it up to Him. Ask for His strength, His help, and His hope. But let's use these words as a prayer. Until we reach that day, love conquers everything. We'll cry an anthem singing, holy, holy. And when we see that day, we're standing face to face. We'll shout an anthem singing. Singing holy, holy, and when we see that day, we're standing face to face. We'll shout an anthem, singing holy, holy. You know, and in a moment, the band's going to lead us in that song from the top. But I just, I want to remind you of the lyrics of the chorus just as you, as you keep your, your eyes closed and your hands raised if you're comfortable, that they declare that, that you and I will go from glory to glory, that God is changing us, that God is building us into the people that, that He has called us to be. And for some of you here today, if you're honest with yourself, those lyrics, if you think on them, they don't ring true. For some of you here today, you don't feel like you're improving. You feel like you're stuck or you're getting worse. You, you feel that you are free from Egypt, and yet you feel like you are behaving like a slave still. Don't leave today in the same space that you walked in. If you've been frustrated and sick of shuffling about as if you're in chains still, then realize that this morning is an opportunity when you can throw off the chains. Realize that the chains have been unlocked for far too long for you to keep them on any longer. That you were called into promise. That you were called to walk free. That you are no longer shackled by sin, but you are still walking restricted. Have someone stand with you and pray. See, there are far too many Christians in the church who are behaving like they are still in the prison of sin when they have been declared as free. There are far too many people who are saying, I can never walk into that promise or do this thing for God because look at the chains that are on me and the chains are nowhere but in our mind. So you don't have to do anything. You just have to know that to walk into the promise that God has for you, you need to follow Jesus. And if something is stopping you from doing that, or you need prayer to encourage you, or a community to rally around you, or a memorial moment to inspire you, or even a prayer for anxiety about following the promise, then as the band sings this song, as they lead us in this declaration, first of all, let that chorus be a statement to yourself. I might not feel like I'm going from glory to glory. I might not feel like I'm improving. I might not feel like God has life and life abundantly for me. I might not feel like I am the solution to the problems that God has placed in front of me. But God's word is stronger than my feelings. And if you know that you're here this morning and you know that your words to yourself are not going to be enough, don't leave here defeated when there is victory waiting for you. Don't leave here convinced of a lie when that lie can be thrown off of you. We want to have the altar open and we're just going gonna to take as long as it takes. But come to the front. Be bold enough to say, God, I need someone to stand with me in prayer and encourage me. God, I can't quite bring to mind the truth. All I have are lies. Have someone speak truth over you. But let's realize that we are called to walk into promise and if anything is stopping us, we need to deal with it this morning. Come on, church. Let's sing.